Uh, so good morning. good morning. All right. At least this half sounded awake. Are you guys awake over here? Good morning. Good enough. Oh, sleeping baby, maybe. Yes. Okay. Um, so if you don't know who I am, if you haven't been here before, my name is Eugene. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Cornerstone. Um, so funny thing that happened uh, with this message this morning. So a few months back, Mike had said, hey, I'm, I might be going out of town to go to this concert, um, so I might need somebody to fill in for me. And so, you know, we didn't really know, and then all of a sudden, two weeks ago, he's like, by the way, I got tickets, I'm going, who can fill in for me? So we're all like, oh, okay, here we go. And uh, it was funny, because we have a Facebook group to, you know, talk about different things, and uh, he posted it there, and uh, Lucas was the first one to chime in, Lucas Austin, he goes, have fun on your trip. And that's all he said, and he just dips out. I was like, okay, Lucas is not doing the message. I was like, all right, who's going to say anything? And nobody was, so I was looking at it, and we, you know, we have kind of an idea of what we're going to be talking on and everything, because, um, you know, obviously we have the scripture that we're rolling through in this one. And uh, I was looking through it, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I got a few ideas that I could, I could teach on. And I took like a week, the, you know, the first week, and I was like, okay, writing all my notes down, coming up with like sermon or like visuals, stuff like that. I like to use visuals. I don't have any today, but I'll tell you why. Uh, because last week when I, I come in and I'm sitting here listening to Mike, and he starts talking about tending his garden and pruning the, you know, branches, doing all this stuff. And I was like, that's the message I've been working on. I was like, oh, great. I was like, is he wrong or am I wrong? And then obviously the scripture is in order, so I was the one that was wrong. I just had my weeks off. So then I was down to a week to prepare for this message. So it's all good. God's better than I am and uh, gave me a whole lot of stuff to, to speak on. Uh, and there is a lot of scripture, so make sure, you know, if you're using your Bible or your phone or whatever, uh, get it ready, and then it'll also be on the screen. That being said, um, the funny thing is, is that like, uh, verse 17, where we ended last week, uh, said, you know, these things I command you so that you will love one another. We're going to go into verse 18. Go ahead and pull that up. And it says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And that's what I get to teach on today uh, as we're teaching on persecution. So uh, I'm just going to jump right in and we'll get into it. It's a lot of good stuff uh, to unpack. Um, it, it, I was excited about teaching on it, even though it's talking about persecution. But um, verse 19, it continues, it said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Now, hate, obviously, we know is a very strong word. It gets thrown around, you know, you say you hate things, or sometimes you use the word love, say you love things, you know, but it's just like things. It's not like big love or big hate. Um, one use of that is I say, I hate pickles. I despise pickles. I just, to me, they're one of the grossest things created. I just don't like them. Some agree, some don't agree. My wife does not agree with me. She loves pickles. And the funny thing was, was that yesterday, I had already had this part in here, and then yesterday, uh, we went out to eat after our son's band competition. We went to the Wooden Pickle, uh, in, yeah, in Marion, right? And I look on the menu, and everything comes with a slice of pickle. I was like, okay. So I look at the waitress, and I say, I don't like pickles. Can you put my pickle slice on my wife's plate for me? Sure, yeah. 
What comes out on my plate next to my fries? The pickle. So I do what any sane person would do, and I ask my wife to take the pickle, and then I take my napkin and I dab all of the nasty juice <laughs> off of my plate so that it doesn't get to my fries. Sure enough, it did get to one or two uh, that I found later. Um, but I just, I just hate pickles that bad. And you can even ask her, I make her brush her teeth twice after eating pickles because I can't stand the smell of it. I won't kiss her until she does. And I like to kiss her. So um, it is what it is. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not that kind of hate. Um, he's talking about the fact that the world hates you. Now, he's not saying like, Every non-believer hates us as Christians. He's not really saying that. He's talking more of, you know, kind of a bigger view of it. Um, but the good news is, is, at least he says that, you know, he's hated too. So we're at least in the hate boat together with Jesus, right? Um, but what he's talking about, we, we see it better in Ephesians 6.12. And it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when he's referencing the world, you know, he's, he's referencing talking about people that have worldly views, right? Or basically the people that speak about or against everything that Jesus taught, the people that just hate him just to hate him. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not so much about us, it's about him and everything he is. And it's you know, from the evil things in the unseen world, right? That's, that's what we're fighting against. So about five years ago, uh, I actually made a trip uh, with about five other people. It was five other people because I was the sixth and I was the oldest one on the trip and it was awkward at points, but doesn't matter. Made a trip to India uh, to go work with girls that were rescued out of trafficking. Um, and it's, it's a crazy thing. I won't go into all of the stuff that happened over there. It was amazing time, you know, with, with the, I say girls, they were like 15 to 35. Um, but it was an amazing time. We got to go in and go through the Book of Ruth with them and do like fun summer camp games with them and teach them how to do rock, paper, scissors, all that. Anyway, uh, but on the trip there, it was a little nerve wracking because we knew we were going into India, which obviously is not a Christian-based country, you know, which... America, people think we're all, everybody's Christian in America, so they kind of consider this a Christian country, whatever, but they are definitely not any sort of Christian country, and if you walk into an airport, you'll see that because they have an idol, uh, you know, like this big statue of their eight-armed god or whatever it is, I don't know what it's called, um, just in the middle of the airport, and it's kind of freaky and weird, uh, especially when you're like lack of sleep and, <laughs> you know, going through at like 3 a.m. So we get to this one place, um, where we have to kind of like check in and they're like, okay, why are you here? You know, why are you in coming into our country? And so it's empty. It's 3 a.m. There's nobody else there. It's just very intimidating to walk up there. So we go up and we're telling these guys, you know, why we're there. We're like, yeah, we're going camping and we're going to go to this place and there's cabins and we're staying there. And they're just looking at us like we're idiots because they don't really understand what camping is. They know what I guess trekking is, which is like hiking, um, but they don't have a clue really what they're doing. And they end up pulling Brianna Lindbergh back to kind of like an interrogation room. I don't know if there was like a single light. I didn't go in there, thank God. Uh, I probably would have wet myself going back there. But uh, Brianna has, you know, she is 
done this kind of stuff before. So she went in there and they kind of just drilled her. They were like, okay, where are you going? Why are you going there? Asking her a ton of questions. And we're all out in the other main room, just kind of like standing by ourselves, freaking out, praying, you know, quietly or in our minds, you know, because obviously we can't like stand around and make a prayer circle because then they'll definitely find us out. Um, You know, definitely don't want that. We're afraid like there's a possibility we could go to their jail. We could be sent back home. And obviously we didn't want either of those two things to happen. But it was weird because I had never like experienced that feeling. Like they weren't, they didn't know that we were Christians, but you could still feel that tension that was in the room. Like you could feel that hatred for Jesus, even in the midst of that, even though no words were spoken about it, because they don't like what Jesus stands for, right? So they don't like the belief that we have. So it wasn't about us. You know, we could come in and go hiking. They don't care about that, but they don't want us to bring our gospel into their country. So it was just, it was really, really weird. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to go back to verse 19 again. Uh, He continues to say, if you were of the world, the world would love you as one of its own, right? We're not supposed to be of the world. Being of the world is kind of like just going with the flow. Um, And that's going to bring me to point one. It says, we cannot let our environment influence our belief. So another story. I like stories. Uh, Me and my family went to the beach uh, a month or two ago uh, down in Jacksonville, Florida. So the hurricanes had like just barely passed through, um, but everything was cleaned up and we were good to go. The first day we got there, there was double red flags. Can't go in the ocean. Not allowed. Okay, fine. So wait till like third day we go out and it's like a red and yellow flag. Like go out at your own risk. I'm like, here we go. You know, so I jump in, all the kids come with me, and, and we're having fun. You know, just, I mean, the waves were huge. People were out there surfing. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, you get 20 or 30 minutes, and you look over, and all of your stuff has moved about 30 feet, right? And you're like, wait a minute, where am I at, right? And it's not the stuff that moved. It's you that moved because you're being pulled in the current. You're being pulled down or not down, I don't know how you describe that in an ocean. I know down river, but I don't know how you describe that in an ocean. You're being pulled away, right? It, because you're going with the flow of the ocean. Um, and obviously that's like similar to what we sometimes have happen in our lives. We have influence around us. We have a current. Say we work in a place that the people don't believe the same that we believe. You know, so they have that current and they're trying to pull you into that. You know what you believe but they want you to believe what they believe and go along with that. Or it's just kind of like they want to, you know, just move that line of where you can go and still call yourself a Christian or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, you could still do this. That's okay. That's okay. And you're slowly getting pulled away from where God wants you to be. But God doesn't want us to be a product of our environment. We have to still be in the world, right? We're still alive. We're still on this earth. So we have to be in this world. But he calls us to not be of the world. We have to be separate. 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 16 through 18 says this. Let me take a sip first. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them says the Lord, don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be 
my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So obviously, that's not saying that like, we're not so, so, supposed to associate with non-believers because that would go against everything that Jesus did while he was on the earth. Like everything, he was, he was in the midst of the non-believers. You know, he was in the middle of them, teaching them, showing them all of this stuff of what they should be doing. And uh, Paul talked about this. I don't have a slide for it, but Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, where he said, you know, he had told them not to associate with, uh, he wasn't saying not to associate with the people who indulge in sin or the non-Christians, um, but he was saying to stay away from people who said that they were believers, but they were living in sin. Because the problem was, was that the Corinthian Christians were trying to kind of live on both sides of that fence, right? They were trying to say that they were righteous because they were going to church or trying to obey the rules, but then they were also doing all of the things that they knew better that they shouldn't be involved in. They were trying to mix light with dark, and if you ever light any kind of a light in the dark, obviously the dark goes away, right? So you can't mix both. Um, so when we're, we'll move on to uh, verse 20, chapter, John 15, 20. It says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So have you ever felt persecuted? Like, have you ever felt that persecution? And I'm not talking about, like, where somebody trash-talked you on Gaylock's Talk of the Town group on Facebook. I don't mean anything like that. I mean, like, actual true persecution. Uh, the Cambridge Dictionary definition said, uh, persecution is unfair or cruel treatment over a long period of time because of race, religion, or political beliefs. So I'm going to bring us back to the 90s and early 2000s just for a moment. Has anybody in the room ever heard of a band called DC Talk? Christian band, DC Talk, right? Uh, they were big. Uh, if you know who Newsboys is now, Michael Tate, their singer, used to be in DC Talk with Toby Mac and another guy named Kevin Max, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but DC Talk, they had a bunch of albums, really good stuff, um, and they worked at one point with uh, an organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, DC Talk had this song called Jesus Freak, and so that's what they titled the book, was called Jesus Freaks, and they made one... I think, like I said, late 90s, early 2000s, something like that. And then they made a few since then kind of new stories that have come out. And what it was, it was a book that talks about people that had been persecuted or even martyred for their Christian beliefs. And so they took stories from different decades and all, all kinds of times that they got from different people and they just compiled it into a book so that we can read about it here in America where we don't have that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm not going to read the entire story, uh, but I have... I just kind of snipped out a piece from a story about this guy named Ivan. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. It's Russian. I have no clue how to say it. Um, but he was a Christian in the Russian army back in like the early 70s. And he was treated bad because he was a Christian and they didn't like that, you know, in the midst of the Christian army. Um, but unfortunately, one day he, the, the bad treatment became worse. He got called into uh, one of his head officer's offices, um, his general or whatever it was. And on the way, he even said that he saw an angel that spoke to him and said, don't worry, you'll be okay. And he's like, okay, what is going on? So he goes in and uh, the, the general was saying, started questioning him, his devotion, his devotion to the Red Army or the Russian Army. And he's like, look, I'm devoted to this army. I'll fight for you. He's like, but I don't believe everything that you believe. 
And the general was like, oh, really? Because the thing was, was that in order to be in the army, they wanted you to believe everything, which included their atheist belief. I don't know if that's an oxymoron, but they were atheists, and so they wanted you to follow what they said. And he wasn't going to stand for it. He wasn't going to back down. And so that general was going to put him through the ringer. So he started off and he said, okay, tonight you're going to go outside in your summertime uniform and you're going to stay out there. Now this is Russian winter time, super cold. You're going to stay out there in your clothes, regular clothes, until you deny Christ. And so he's like, all right, Jesus got me. The angel came, showed me I'm good. So he goes out and he stays just warm enough. He survived through the night. And like there was even a point in the middle of the night where like other, or other, other guys came out and checked on him and they like touched his hands and like he was warm. Not like super warm, obviously, because he was still out in the cold, but he was warm enough to stay alive. And he ended up like falling asleep and the next day he woke up, they woke him up and he went back to what he had to do. But it still didn't end. They put him in refrigeration cells. They put a rubber suit on him and filled it with compressed air and pushed down on his lungs to where like he could barely breathe. They just, they just kept piling it on, and he would not deny his faith. And it came to the point where they just kept pushing. They ended up beating him, stabbing him, and drowning him. And so, unfortunately, Ivan lost his life because of his belief in Christ. Now, nice thing is, he gets to go see Jesus, but, you know, it was, it was nuts. The craziest thing was that his general said that he died with difficulty, but he died as a Christian. So he even noticed that. And the cool thing was, is even during all the beatings and everything that was going on, all of his fellow army men saw all of this, and some of them came to Christ as well. So it wasn't in vain. Now in America, obviously, we don't know what real persecution is. You know, we, we feel persecuted if they get our order wrong at Starbucks, Right? Or if they put a layer of mayo on the bottom of your Philly cheesesteak that you ate at the wooden pickle yesterday. They did. But I scraped it off. I didn't say a thing. I scraped off the mayo and I put it away. It's kind of like biting into a donut that you're not expecting it to have like the filling in it. It was kind of gross. Anyway, uh, but that's still not persecution. Um, it goes obviously way, way deeper than that. And I hope, I hope and pray that we don't ever have to really face that kind of persecution here in America. It may come. We don't know. God's in charge of, you know, the future. But remember, uh, remember that verse 20 says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Right? So we can't be surprised as, a, as being a Christian as the suffering that can come. And there's lots and lots of scriptures about it. Um, one of them being 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when the, his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God and of God, spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Uh, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I think uh, that little part where it says, you know, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you will be blessed. I think the person who created the whole hashtag blessed thing was not referencing this scripture. That's just my personal opinion. But 
Uh, if, you've, if you haven't gathered by now, this is not an if kind of thing. This is a when kind of thing. It doesn't say if, you're, if you follow me, you might get persecuted, right? It's at some point, something's going to happen. If you're following Jesus, uh, this is going to happen. Uh, so I've got, uh, I've got a meme that I want to show. Mike got to show a few memes a couple weeks ago, but I've got one, just one today. Uh, it says, the Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall proper, prosper. Can't talk. Uh, it says, but they will be formed against you, right? It doesn't say that they won't be formed against you. It's going to come, right? Uh, but the thing is, is that we've got to glorify God through the persecution. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, it says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of things, evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I know I go around just all excited and happy and joyful because I'm being persecuted. I don't. I'm just being honest. I don't know if you would either. There was actually a gentleman uh, in the 18th century named George Whitfield. He was an evangelist. And he actually felt, basically, that if he wasn't being persecuted, that he wasn't doing his job as a Christian. And he would just strive that much harder. Do we live that way? Are we that in love with Jesus, you know, that we look for persecution? <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, like, I, I don't normally do that. Um, but, you know, this scripture says that, that we should. We should be striving for that. Um, James 1, uh, 2 through 4 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, it will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I think that, for me, that perfection will probably come at the moment that I you know, walk through heaven's gates. But, um, but we have to know that when we're being tested, that if we get through that, if we endure through that, we have an opportunity to grow. You know, there's the old phrase that says, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Uh, Hopefully, again, we don't have to be martyred. But if we do it in Jesus' name, that's what counts. Uh, but this is, you know, this is definitely a trained mindset um, that's going to happen through time, patience, and prayer, and being close to God. Or maybe, if you were here last week, you remember the verses where it said to abide in Him, right? To obey Him, to abide in Christ, to be just completely enveloped in His love. You know, this scripture wasn't taken in pieces, right? It went straight from him talking about his love straight into talking about persecution. So he's giving you that way to know that you're good, right? That you have Christ that'll walk beside you. So point two uh, is biblical persecution is not about you, even if you want it to be. So Jesus continues in uh, John 15, 21, saying, they will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So not only are they persecuting and rejecting us because of our belief in Christ, they're rejecting Jesus because of the Father, because of God. So it's like they're just rejecting everything because they don't want to change into what Christ calls us to be. And in verse 22, it says, they would not be guilty 
if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So Jesus isn't saying like people weren't guilty for their sin, that they didn't sin or they weren't be charged for it before he, you know, came. Because obviously we lived in a sin, a sinful and broken world. There was the curse from Adam and Eve. But what he's saying is that like, he's talking about the fact that people were living how they were living. You know, they were going to the synagogue and they were doing all of the right things and then they were also trying to go off and do what they wanted to do after they left church, right? Does that step on anybody's toes? I'm hoping so, right? Uh, you know, because sometimes we do that. We'll come in, we'll go to church, or we'll even go to the community meal and we'll help out down there. And we'll, it'll be, you know, you get the feel-good tinglies because you've helped somebody out and you've gave them some food or whatever. Or you've talked to them for 10 minutes out of your busy day and you spared 10 minutes of your day to, to share with them. But then we go out and we just, you know, live like we want to live and go on like Jesus doesn't exist, right? And it's, it's crazy that, that we think that way. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes we have to get offended by Christ's word in order to move forward. And honestly, that's why the world rejects Christ, because they don't want to be offended. They don't want to have to change. And I don't really get, honestly, side note, I don't really get the word offended. It is used and overused so much now, you know, that people defended for other people, right? Well, I'm offended that you feel that they can't be offended on their own, <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense anymore, but that's my little soapbox. Um, but it leads me to point three. We sometimes have to offend for there to be change. Now, there's a key to it, though, right? We don't have to be offensive or abrasive, um, but we need to be offensive with our lifestyle, meaning that we need to show so much Jesus to where we almost annoy people, right? To where people just see the love of Christ pouring out of us. Now, we have to be filled in order to, you know, pour out, make sure that you are staying in your word, praying, coming to church, getting involved with other people, um, but we still have to, you know, we have to live that lifestyle and we have to be joyful, right? Mike talked about, you know, you say you're filled with joy, but your face doesn't match it, right? Uh, I've, I've done that. I'm not always Mr. Rainbows and Sunshine, but, you know, I, I try to notice those moments when I'm not being right and I, I get into the word and I start, you know, I get back, get praying more and, you know, digging in deeper so that I can produce that joy and happiness in somebody else's life and share Christ with them. Uh, so verse 23, we're going to move on. It, it kind of reiterates what he said in verse 21, but it's for those of us that, that get distracted uh, at times. He says, um, anyone who hates me also hates my father. And that's because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are one. It's a package deal. You can't, you know, separate them, right? Uh, if you if you hate one, you're going to hate the other. If you love one, you're going to love the others. If you abide in one, you're going to abide in the others. It's like love and marriage. It goes together. Okay, no. You can sing that song in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. Um, for those that know that song. Um, so we're going to move on to uh, the final verses of this section. Um, but it's verses 24 and 25. It says, 
if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything that I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what was written in the scriptures, they hated me without cause. So what he's talking about here is uh, Psalm 69.4, the part where he says, they hated me without cause. And Psalm 69.4 says, those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. So he's again reiterating verse 22 in this part, again, because people just weren't getting it. You know, people saw... Uh, you know, it says, but as it is, they have seen everything that I did, I, I did, yet they still hate me and my father. Jesus did like so many things. I'm going to list just a few. He turned water into wine. He healed a nobleman's son. He drove out demons. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He helped them catch a ton of fish, cleansed a man with leprosy, healed a centurion's paralyzed servant, helped a paralytic who was let down through the roof of a house, uh, healed a man's withered hand, raised a widow's son from the dead, calmed the stores, storms of the sea, healed a woman's issue of blood, heals blind men, he heals a mute man, uh, feeds thousands of people with a kid's lunchable, healed people by touching them touching his garment, he healed a demon-possessed girl, cleansed more lepers, uh, brings Lazarus back the, from the dead, and withers a fig tree, and on and on. And even in... Uh, at the end of John, I do want to read, you know, because there, there was so much more that it did. And John said that, uh, I don't have it on the screen. Uh, John 21, 25, it says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus did a whole ton of stuff, but yet they still didn't get it. They saw it with their own two eyes and still didn't get it. And they still despised him because they did not want to change. They didn't want to have to believe what he was saying because they were offended by what he was saying because they would have to change their lifestyle and everything they they did and also because of Jesus's adversary we can't unfortunately leave him out I would love to leave him out sometimes Um, but the devil hates Jesus plain and simple and he wants to destroy everything that Jesus loves which includes us right um I've got, yes, another story. Uh, I'm going to take it back to the 90s again. Um, Does anybody in here remember Carmen? Okay, Carmen was, this is how Google described him. I'm going to butcher his name. Carmelo Dominic, yeah, I'm not going to try to pronounce the last name, Uh, Italian name. He was known by a stage name, Carmen, was an American contemporary Christian music singer, rapper, songwriter, television host, and evangelist. crazy guy like i've i've seen some of his music videos like they put stuff to shame of what he did in the 90s it was it was hilarious um i wasn't like a huge fan of his music um but i did uh go to one of his concerts on my 21st birthday um that was one of the cool things that he did he would fill arenas with people for free he wouldn't charge anybody to come in to the concert but there was a story that he told that night and this was just a few years ago for me uh like i said i was 21 um yeah, little, it's okay. I'm a little over double that now. Uh, but he told a story that kind of was a good ex- explanation about the hate of Satan. He said that growing up in New Jersey, you know, they lived kind of in a bad neighborhood already, um, but that his older brother uh, would get into a lot of trouble. Uh, he would cause him issues, you know, cause everybody issues, and he would get beat up or whatever, and uh, just, you know, not a good kid, 
Then Carmen comes along. I'm going to call him Carmen. Uh, he comes along, and he unfortunately resembles his brother, like his face, facial features, like he actually looks like his older brother. Well, then people started mistaking Carmen for his brother, and when his brother would do something ignorant, they would beat up Carmen, right? They would come in and pound him, and he'd, I'm sure he was, you know, whining, hey, I'm not my brother, I'm not my brother. They're like, yeah, whatever. You know, you probably deserve it too. Um, but he was describing that in a way to show why Satan hates us so much. In Genesis, it tells us that we are made in the image of God, right? So if we're in the, made in the image of God and Satan hates God because Satan wanted to become God, but couldn't. He got thrown out, banished, and now he has dominion here on this earth, right? Uh, but he got kicked out. So he despises everything with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, which includes us. So that's, that's the kind of hatred that the devil has for us because he's out to kill us, steal, a, steal, and destroy, right? He's trying to steal our marriages, our families, our everything. He's trying to wreck everything that's there. He is, you know, what I mentioned before in Ephesians about, you know, the rulers of the unseen world, the evil things in the unseen world. He is in charge of all of that. So what do we do when the world and the devil are out to persecute us and to hate on us? Uh, brings me to point four. And you'll get where this comes from in a second. It says, have faith, have patience, love people, and endure. 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 10 through 17 say this. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they're true, for you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So again, it says that we will suffer persecution, but we stick to the scriptures and knowing that God is in charge. Uh, also, Romans 12, 9 through 21. I told you there was a bit of scripture today. Uh, it says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. That's, that's a tough one. Uh, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So in other words, don't think that you're better than people. And don't think you know it all, <clears throat> teenagers. 
Um, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So, maybe you're here. Maybe you've been listening to this, and, you know, maybe it's your first time in church ever, um, and you're thinking, maybe I don't want to be a Christian because I don't really want to deal with persecution and hatred from the world, right? That's, that's what we're saying here. But I hope that's not the case. I hope we don't get scared because of this, right? It's not meant to scare us, uh, but it's meant to show you that Christ is with us in this world. We're going to be hated on, persecuted, possibly more, um, but we have to allow God to take control. We have to abide in his love, knowing that there are going to be times of persecution and of hatred toward us, but only because of whose we are. Whose we are. Remember, it's not about us, it's about him. So, uh, I've got one more scripture. Uh, it's Matthew seven thirteen and 14. It says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. So, here's what I picture from that scripture. I... I I want to learn how to paint just so I can like make a painting out of this or maybe you know, use a computer, which is what my job is, and learn how to design this, but whatever. Um, but I, I see this picture of the road that's going to hell, right? But I picture all the people like coming this way. But I don't picture the narrow road as something separate off in the distance being safe, right? Because it doesn't say that it's safe. It says to, uh, it's very narrow and the road is difficult. So I picture it going the opposite way in the middle of the road going to hell, right? No guardrails, no safety barriers. You're just in the midst of all of that. So you're going to have the persecution that's coming in from either side, right? You're going to have the people that are hating on you just because you're going against the grain of what they believe. You're going against the whole current of people moving this way towards hell. They're not going to like it, right? But if we keep our eyes focused on the finish line, if we keep our eyes focused on Christ and what is to come if we call ourselves Christian, you know, and if you don't know Christ, I'll introduce you to him, I promise. Um, but we are to keep our eyes focused in on Christ and what he's calling us to do so that we don't have to worry about what's going on next to us, right? Because Jesus is with us, Jesus and the Holy Spirit's inside of us as we're walking down this treacherous path but we got to stay focused. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come on back up and uh, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Uh, thank you so much for who you are. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for just this message, Lord, this, these words in your book. We thank you for your word the living word, Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, showing us that, you know, this, this life that we live with you is not going to be easy, but, uh, but we have you there 
walking with us, Lord. I thank you um, just for being an amazing God and for doing that for us. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room today that doesn't know who you are, that they would just see who you are through your word. Lord, that they would see that you are a God that loves us so much that even though the world is going to come against us, that you are willing, you are willing to sacrifice your son for us, to have that love and have that compassion and have that hand holder to walk us through and that you send your Holy Spirit uh, to just help us through these times, Lord. I pray that um, if, if they don't know you, Lord, that they would just ask you to come in, ask you to um, bring forgiveness and your grace and your mercy, and Lord, to just ask you to cleanse them from, from their sins. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me from my sins, Lord, where I've, I've fallen short, where I'm not bold enough at times, Lord. Um, I pray that we could be bold as a church and go out in this community around us in the workplaces that we go to, that you would give us the strength and the power and the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to share your gospel, Lord, in love, not going out and being abrasive, but going in love and that our life just exalts you and glorifies you in everything that we do and all the decisions that we make. Lord, we just give you thanks again for everything. In Christ's name, amen.